All right. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Awesome. Thanks. Jim Fish. I feel like we can get into so many parts of your story. CEO of Waste Management. But first, I feel like you've probably had some good nicknames throughout your life. You know, I, I actually, because of my last name, I mean, I, that's kind of been it. It's not, uh, I mean, you have a guy with the name of Smith or something. I mean, you know, you got to give him a nickname. But right. Fish is, is kind of a natural. Jim Fish. It's impossible to have a first and last name with fewer syllables. That is true. Have yeah. you thought about that? I mean, I, I, would, I was shooting for zero, but I don't think you can go zero. I mean, <laughs> unless you're like Freud or something, right? Just go one name. This is where we get into the concept that you live the sort of uh, the minimalist waste management lifestyle. You, yeah, just you, one syllable in each. One. That's part of our hiring protocol. <laughs> you're not going to waste syllables. You're not going to waste products. How do you... We've, we've, we are, people may think that we have a great rapport from the start, but we're friends. Would you, yeah, would you agree? You bet. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't call me that much, but, uh, you know. I, I don't. Well, I don't want to bug you. You're, you know, right. CEO but of we Fortune. We are friends. We're absolutely. Fortune going to 500. Going to dinner tonight, right? We are going to dinner tonight. There you go. Um, Fortune 500 company is waste management. True? That's true. Actually, that, you could almost say we're Fortune 200. We're close. Like Fortune 208 or something. 208. Yeah. And that's the Not threshold. That I'm keeping track. I mean, I would imagine that's a big that's a big deal, mm-hmm. big difference. Does that uh, anyway? I mean, I think it's cool that we're friends. We have a bit of a, a history. We've uh, done a lot of fun things together. Played golf together. You may not know this, but one of the highlights of my life. You may not know this. <laughs> okay. Know this. Last year, you invited me to play Oakmont with you. Yes. And even though we haven't played Oakmont. We're going this year. Or we haven't texted, as you said, throughout the year. And that's my fault primarily. I'm sorry. But that was, a, that was a really nice thing of you to offer to me. And I was really, you know, I do look forward to it when we do get the chance to do it. We're someday. going this spring. Okay. We're going this spring. we gotta, we got to connect on this. Great. I love so, it. I, yeah. uh, it. Golf has been a part of your life for how you're, long? By the way, you're the only friend that's interviewed me from a portalette. <laughs> that was how we met? That was exactly. <laughs> that's how we met. You know, there are, uh, well, I won't even get into it. Anyway, <laughs> golf and you have been connected since how how young? When oh, did I you? I started playing golf when I was young, eight years old. Okay, wow. So that's uh, that's kind of, how how has it traveled with you into your, you know, it's, it's interesting that you start off as you're eight years old, you're playing golf. You know, waste management isn't, uh, you know, the title sponsor of the Phoenix Open at the time. And now you're, you know, privileged i would say to be in such a wonderful position with a company that is so deeply involved in golf and bettering the game of golf and bettering the planet that's 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 a really cool uh experience i would imagine i mean you know it's interesting because i i started playing golf as a young kid but as as an adult i mean golf is such a great sport because there's 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 so many aspects of golf that are so attractive it's it's you know the sustainability aspect is attractive it's great as you get older so as as uh, as as we all age you know, we're not playing uh, pickup basketball anymore, or, or uh, you know, fast pitch baseball. But golf lends itself nicely as you, as you uh, to both the young and the uh, the aging like me. And um, but there's a sustainability aspect to it. It's uh, it's fun for for friends to get together. You you have an ability, unlike a, a sport where there's a lot of fast pace, where you're really not talking to anybody because you're focused on whether it's tennis or or basketball or whatever. You're focused on the game. Golf. You have time in between the action, and the action is just a shot, and then and then hopefully you have a lot of time because you hit it a long way. But um, but you have time to, to socialize. So there's a social aspect of golf too that that I enjoy. You uh, the uh, the idea that um, there's a lot of pro ams throughout the year. Obviously, you know, 
there's I don't know how many tournaments a year, thirty eight. Well, now there's probably the the wraparound season. There's yeah. four, probably forty events. Probably, or something. Yeah, it's it's north of thirty, right? I mean, it's got to be. But and there's a lot of proams for each of those events. Now there's really only one proam to rule them all. I mean, would, I'm not. That's probably not even my words. Someone probably already said that. I, I would say there's there's two proams that that are unique. Interesting. One is ours, and and Phil Mickelson actually told me, look, yours is so unique. He said your entire event is. Uh, Mickelson said when I played with him one year, he said I can count on one hand the number of tournaments that have an identity to them, and yours does. And and I said well, why is that? And he said, he said you got you got the gigantic crowds that no other tournament's close to. He said you have sixteen, which is is lunacy. Um, <laughs> he said you have this this huge sustainability message that nobody else has. I mean, you take the biggest golf tournament in the world and turn it into a zero waste event. That's unlike any other event. And, and then he said you have this um, this huge amount of money that goes to charity. Last year, I think it was thirteen million bucks. So yeah. he said those four things. I said, man, you need to do commercial force. And uh, he said, I'm I'm expensive, <laughs> but. Uh, but our tournaments, clear, and the Pro-Am itself is unique because the crowds that we see on Saturday um, are, carry back into the week to the Pro-Am. So we had, I think, 90,000 there last year, and a normal Pro-Am is like 2,500 people. 90,000 on a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. Not even yeah. any actual competitive golf being played. Well, that's the, I mean, you're playing, but it, but honestly, you're you're much more nervous about even the best golfers. I, I talked to John Morris about it a little bit, and, and John's a good golfer. I'm I'm a decent golfer. John Morris, the COO, COO yeah. our good friend as well. We're going to dinner at his house tonight. Truly a friend of yours. And Truly I, play, a I we played in the program together. <laughs> I got lucky. Someone got an injury, and I took their spot. We played together. But anyway, w- tell me about your handicaps. You're a I uh, just saw it yesterday. Seven point five. Okay, and what's John? I think John is uh, a little less consistent than I am, but I, I would guess John at a uh, an eleven. That's what I'm going to guess. About. I can't see John's face. He's, he's John over there. <laughs> eleven. He's he's giving me the thumbs he's, up. He's watching. I'm going to guess John eleven. By the way, the other pro am that's unique. Uh, I mentioned okay, two right. ours and the AT and T. And the AT and T for a totally different reason. Sure. Because you're playing on their work days, so right. you're playing on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and no other tournaments like that. But those two tournaments, in terms of the pro am, ours for the reasons I mentioned, AT and T, which is actually the week after ours. Because you're actually playing on the day that the pros are earning money. I mean, they're not earning money on on pro am day yeah. in most tournaments, but on when they're playing the event and you're playing with them, that's that's nerve wracking too. So you have played in how many waste management Phoenix Open pro ams? So I've 16? played in. Oh no no no! I've probably played in. I'm gonna guess I've played in nine. Nine. So here's one quick interesting, uh, you know, s- stat about me. I I've played in nine. I think nine of ours, plus three others. Okay. So uh, I'm sorry, no, no, two, two AT&T. So probably I've probably played in thirteen or fourteen total proams in my life. That's awesome. And um, I played one year with Dirk. But Spirit. these aren't these aren't just little proams. These are these are the two best proams in the world. Yeah. So two two that were not uh, AT&T or WM. Okay. And then so two, two others. But in those 13, in 11 of the 13, the player that I played with, and I'm not playing with Tiger or, you know, I've played with Phil a couple times, but I mean, I'm a lot of times, particularly early in my career, I was playing with the you know, number 145. Right. Uh, and, but in 11 of the 13, the player that I played with won an event that year. Whoa! So I played one year with, uh, and and in uh, five or six of them, they won a major that year. So I played with <laughs> Dirk Bentley one year, and we played with a guy named Jonas Blixt. Sure, super nice guy, but he was, uh, you know, a sophomore on the tour, second year on the tour, had never won an event, and so 
Uh, and I told him, I said, there's this thing called the fish effect. And he said, what's the fish effect? And, and Dirk's actually was the one that coined that term. So Jonas won a tournament, and he was ranked number 180 or something. He right. won a tournament like a, a month later. And then he is tied for the lead in the PGA on the last day. And, and Dirk sends me a note and goes, dude, if he freaking wins this thing, yeah. they need to auction you off to play with the pros. Yeah, you're like a shaman. Yeah, exactly. You would then, you would then actually be – you would set the books. Yeah. You could. I wonder if then could you actually bet on the player? So I guess whoever you're going to play with this year, I will bet on for the Masters. You should. You should because 11 out of 13. That's a good well, I don't, number. I don't know about the Masters, but bet on them to win something. Just spread them out throughout the entire year. Exactly. Just place a small bet for each tournament. Well, the what I wanted to get at is because you're a normal golfer. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I don't get to play as much as I – I only got to play seven or eight times last year, but uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I, yeah. That's not a lot. It's not a lot. That's not a lot. That's you got to get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. Now we're going to go to Oakmont, uh, so we'll, we'll knock out a couple there. I get two rounds around our tournament. That's I, it. That's it. I'm not playing AT&T this year. That's three. So what But but I, what I'm trying to kind of get at is for people listening, right? The, the, the people listening, no one has played in any pro-ams, much less the coolest pro-am in golf. And I've only played in it once, so I don't have that much experience with, that, with it. But we were talking a little bit, uh, having coffee here before we – turn the mics on about uh your your experience on what holes terrify you yeah would you would, did you use the word terrify i don't think you did I, you had a different uh, word yeah i don't know whether it's terrify but but honestly there's there's four holes that intimidates probably the right uh, word i mean there's four holes that really intimidate me and, uh, and, it's, and 16, three in particular 16 isn't one of them well if i if i take it to four 16 would be fourth if i put it in order and the reason 16 is not as intimidating as the other ones is because it's a short hole. So I mean, right. I mean, how bad is it going to be on a on a nine iron or wedge? I mean, even though you have, I mean, I just keep thinking shank. That's what I think of. I think yeah, of I shank or I think chili dip. I don't really think shank. I I will say this: when you walk into 16, you did it. Um, when you walk in there and there's 20,000, 22,000 people there. Uh, Justin Verlander, I played with him last year, and he said it was like. Russell Crowe walking into the Roman Coliseum in Gladiator, and right. so I watched Gladiator last night, and I and I thought about that. You watched Gladiator last night? I watched it every time it's on. You know? Are you I, not entertained? That's right. It's exactly. Such a good movie. Come on, my, my wife says I've never seen this before, babe. She goes, No, you've seen a hundred times. But uh, so that's what Sixteen's like. I'm going to watch it tonight after dinner. Perfect. Can, it's, maybe it's, we can it's watch great. it at dinner. Good idea. I think John probably has it on. On uh, you know. Speaking but, of which, we got to get Russell Crowe out to the waste management. We do. I, I is he a golfer? Who cares? I just need him, him to talk. Let's I just, just get him to walk into sixteen and he can, should just freestyle. Yeah. He he just seems like a, a tough dude though. I mean seems like he, <laughs> he's perpetually in a kind of a bad mood. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think you know, he does seem like uh well he you know anyway. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but in his movie parts he always seems yeah. like he's well and there off. are some stories surrounding his life. But anyway, we'll we'll get into I'm curious to know about what is it like to play in front of that many people? Well, so that's why those holes are intimidating. It's it, for me. Um, number eighteen is the most intimidating because there are a ton of people on eighteen. There's tents all down, two stories uh, uh, on the right side, and tents all along. And there's people everywhere. A couple of years ago, I actually hit it far enough right that I had to hit over the top of a whole bunch of people. Ooh. And um, so that one's intimidating because if you get it going, uh, you know, the wrong direction, and it lands out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like playing golf on a Saturday where there's nobody else. You might you might have to you know go over and apologize to the group across the way. This one, it's going to hit somebody if there's ninety thousand people there. Yeah. So you're like hitting into another party. 
You just exactly. hit you hit a you hit a barbecue full of people. No, that's right. That's right. And and by the way, of the ninety thousand, only five thousand know there's a golf tournament going on. <laughs> the other eighty five are there for a barbecue or, or a you know a party. What do you tell yourself? Do you say do you do you have something that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better about that reality? I do have to talk to myself a little what, bit. What I do have you to say, kind of say you know, while you're look, out there? Slow the swing down and kind of don't worry about uh, you know the crowds. I mean, it's it's hard and it's taken me. I, I said I've played in nine of them. I bet you it took me at least six years, right, to get at least remotely comfortable with this. I mean, and uh, number one is another one that's that's uncomfortable because there are that's big tough. crowds and you're coming in cold. They yeah, announce your name. I guess I'm curious to talk a little bit generally about did golf uh, does that ever figure its way a lot of people say you get business done on the golf course is that like a thing for you or not really i don't think so i'm not sure i've, I've ever I, I don't think i've ever closed a deal on the golf course <laughs> honestly i mean you know we, we've had customers and we take customers every year to our tournament and it's a good it's good relationship building but i don't it's, know it's more I'm, entertainment yeah it's entertainment yeah. i mean I, and now we have had some customers who have been so enthusiastic about the event i mean it is so unique i mean yeah. it is it is as unique as any event, uh, as any uh, amateur event, probably in the world, because you're playing in front of all of these people, this whole 16. I've played with a couple of CEOs, uh, you know, large, large company, much bigger than us, who have played in their share of pro-ams. And in one year, I played with a guy who, when you get to hole 14, the tee box, you start hearing this kind oh, yeah. of dull roar. It sounds like the, you know, the artillery at the Maginot line or something. And, and he's like, what is that? And I said, that is 16. And so you start getting nervous. And when he walked into that, through that tunnel to get into 16, he said, wow. He goes, I, I don't think I can feel my hands. And this is a guy that's done, he's been in all these pro-ams. So, and on the first hole or on the tee box, he said, yeah, yeah, I've done this. And so Jim Trevathan at the time uh, said, okay, all right, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So it is, um, you know, we, we do attract uh, customers who, who, you know, we build a relationship with them because of the uniqueness of the event. But I don't think we've – I'm not sure we've closed any any uh, national accounts or anything like that on, right. on uh, 14T. But on some level, it, uh, without uh, – outstanding the tournament, with outside of the tournament itself, you know, I feel like golf is such an interesting way to reveal character with most likely, I would imagine, maybe coworkers, right? Would you ever use – golf is like a interview process or you know kind of does it golf ever help you reveal things uh that you might not otherwise be able to see you know i, I mean i'm not uh, probably smart enough to to figure that answer out but there are some books that have been written about that <laughs> you know i mean take somebody out to play golf in an interview and if they if they're constantly taking gimmies that tells you they're cutting they cut corners in in life and if you know there's there's a whole bunch of parallels between golf and and if they if they have real high highs and low lows on the course that's something to be worried about interesting are you talking about me (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know uh i'm not a a student of sociology or psychology i guess would be is what it would be but i um but i know that that there are some things you can tell about a person when you play with them uh, you can probably tell I'm basically you can tell I'm not a very good golfer. That's what you can tell about me. But um, I, I don't I don't have real high. You're highs an easygoing guy. Yeah, I try. And to. it's I think you know. Well, one of the questions I really want to ask you is, how do you uh, contextualize some of the most important attributes of a person in your position? 
What what is the most important part of being a CEO of a? Well, I I think you know whether whether it's easygoing or or I, I do think that that minimizing your your super highs and your super lows because you're going to have both in in a corporate job and, right. and and I would tell you that low lows are are much worse. Than high high than than highs are high. I mean, it's I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, you're talking about literally dealing with like a problem, yeah, within the company. Exactly. Maybe I mean, it's you know if if you have something and 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 fortunately we haven't had uh, many of those at waste management, but but you have to be able to to deal with those problems and and deal with them, you know, think them through and not, and not get you know pissed off about them and 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 try and tack them. It doesn't mean you you don't ever get. Uh, upset, but but you know there there are those bosses. I think there's those are more kind of in the past, in a different generation who yell and and slam doors and and that just that that uh, when you're trying to set a culture and one of the things that that we've really done on our senior leadership team is try and change the cultures. It's you know I think the millennial generation has an expectation and and I think rightly so that that they be challenged in their jobs, uh, that they feel like they're valued in their jobs. That they feel like there's uh, upward uh, mobility for them, and so that's when we talk about our company, we've we've coined a term that's called people first, and part of that uh, is incumbent upon us as a senior leadership team to make sure that we don't have real high highs or low lows, that we treat people the way they expect to be treated, that they would want to be treated. It's kind of the golden rule thing, and and so I, I think that all are those are all important traits. You know, and, and it, it's kind of EQ a little bit. I mean, you hear the term a lot. Um, EQ. E- emotional quotient. It's kind of the, op- the opposite. I've never heard that term. Intelligence quotient, IQ. And look, you got to be reasonably bright to be uh, in an SLT position, a senior leadership SLT. position. SLT, okay. Um, You're just hitting me with things. Sorry about all the acronyms. But uh, but <laughs> but EQ, I think, is in today's world, is equally, if not more important than IQ. So your your, your emotional quotient is is... And understanding people, because look, generationally, my dad's generation was much different than my kids' generation, and, right. and how they, what their expectations are at work. It's interesting to hear you talk about the uh, the highs and lows within the office, because my first thought was, wow, that that totally uh, cycles back into the golf experience. And you know, I'm thinking if you're listening to this podcast and you're like. Oh yeah, I remember I got really, really upset for that last round of golf. That didn't necessarily prepare me to play the next hole very well. And ultimately, in golf and business, the whole idea is you're trying to prepare yourself to do what to succeed with the next problem. Right. No, that's right. I look. I, I think we all hopefully, and there's a level of maturity with that, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I've probably broken twenty golf clubs in my life, but it was between the ages of really. Oh yeah, at that 14, surprises me. Oh, you, you should. I, I broke them. I broke five a year at age fourteen. What, over so, the uh, knee, throw them on a rock. You know, what I, you, I what's was the go-to. Um, Couple did of you over the them? knees, not as much fun. Uh, I don't know what they do with the shafts, but uh, yeah. <laughs> over the knees, not as, that's just. It's I mean, throwing them, you know, hitting them. Uh, trees, nice. Um, right. I've hit a couple on golf trees carts. Good. That's that's always hard. To, this is know. great to hear, though, because now you are one of the most laid back dudes that I know. Yeah. You really are. Well, you would like to think that at my age, you're not breaking golf clubs anymore. <laughs> if you're breaking golf clubs at at my age or at our age, I guess I'm, I'm older than you, but still, even at your age, you, you should be breaking me. clubs. You can include me. All right, well, you're younger, but you shouldn't be breaking clubs. <laughs> At 14, 18 even, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. cut you some flack. So, I mean, I, I think part of that is just maturity. I mean, I think part of EQ is is, is a little bit of maturity. You, you, you become, as we become more mature, we, we, those, we become a little bit more even-keeled. Yeah. 
But there's still those folks that, that are not, that don't handle pressure very well, and, and these jobs are pressure-packed. Um, so, Best piece of advice you have been given? Uh, it was, I, I would tell you the best piece of advice I was given was from my father-in-law, and he was a, uh, a pipe fitter in St. Louis, Missouri, he passed away 10 years ago. But when I was moving from corporate to the field, and I was, I started with the WM in, in 01. W, and, okay, waste, uh, waste management. And I, and I was... I was in the corporate office in every job I've ever had from moving to the to corporate to the field. My father-in-law said, look, uh, worst thing you can do is, is go out there and sit in your office. And he said, go out and, and A, learn the business, and B, meet the people. And he said, what kind of meetings do they have? He, he, he was a pipe fitter, so he, didn't, he wasn't familiar with our business. And I said, they have what's called crew outs, where the commercial folks go out at some time, they, and they, they might go out at three o'clock in the morning and then typically roll off goes out and then residential goes out last and he said go to those and he said go to one a week and so for seven years I went to one a week and I'd rotate around and go to different sites and and by the way he said don't just go to the last one don't go to the 630 because he said then the 330 folks will say yeah he came out to the 630 but he couldn't make the alarm at that uh at 330 so oh, you're talking 330 a.m. a.m. Dang! No, I know it's that's it's, early. That's early, and I'm a I'm not a morning person. Do, do you just stay up? Do you just? Do you I just... tried that one time, <laughs> and and in between meetings, I went. To, they, we had uh, a one a.m. meeting, and this was in Rhode Whoa. Island, and I just said, oh, you know, I'm a late night person. We'll just stay up. <laughs> I mean, so I was fine at the one a.m., but then we had a stretch between one and four till the next meeting, and I was sending emails, and by three o'clock, <laughs> you my emails, emails are like unintelligible. You couldn't even. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make them out. They. So I said, that's the last time I do that. Yeah. Well, that's good. You learn from your mistakes. Yeah, but that was great <laughs> advice for my father-in-law. And I, and I think he'd, I think he'd be proud of, of the fact that I, I went to 50 sites last year. And it's just something that I still continue to do and, and try and ride along. And, and, and John's done it forever. Because uh, John really grew up in the business. I didn't. I mean, I, I, uh, I started in 01, and I came from a different industry. That piece of advice is really great, and I'm kind of curious to dig one step below that. Is what is he actually saying to you, though? Like, like, can you generalize it for everybody? Because, like I said, not everybody listening to this is a CEO. What is he really saying about what you need to do or be as a person? You know, I think without, I don't think he really knew exactly. But what he, what ultimately he was saying was, look, it helps to humanize you, because a CEO has, particularly a CEO. There's there's this kind of aura around a CEO. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't get treated like a celebrity very many places. But when I go to like the Waste Management Phoenix Open, I mean, I our employees kind of treat me like a celebrity. And it took a little while to get used to that. I, it's not something I I, I wanted or, or relish, but I but I I do have to understand when I go out to sites now. I mean, there's a little bit of celebrity status there. Sure. And so part of going out to a 3 a.m. crew out and riding along with a driver and just asking that driver, you know, tell me about your kids. Tell me about, you know, what did you play sports in high school? You know, what's your favorite sports team now? You know, what do you whatever that person wants to talk about. If they want to talk about politics, we'll talk politics. If they want to talk about safety programs <laughs> at the company or if they want to talk religion, I don't care. Whatever they want to talk about, we'll talk about. But it's it's really not anymore about learning the business. I mean, I've been out there enough. I know what they're doing. It's about humanizing Jim because our driver and in, in, I, I went out with a driver two months ago and he asked me an interesting question. 28-year-old couldn't. He said, Jim, CEO, he said, I've never met a CEO before. He goes, what's the difference between you and me? Ooh, good question. And I said, it's not as much as you would think. I said, honestly, I'm not a better person. I don't work harder. 
I mean, it's it, it really, you and I are pretty similar. I think my father-in-law was basically saying that, which is go out and be with those folks because that's the, that's the, those are the folks that really do the work for the, for the company. And it helps humanize us as a senior team and me as a CEO. Yeah, what a beautiful story. I could just picture that guy. What's the difference between me and you? That's a, that's an interesting, uh, what an interesting person to ask you that question. Yeah. No, was, I, I've never had that question before. I mean, this guy has five kids between the ages of three and 11. His, his wife had a substance abuse issue and, and left. So he is raising five kids by himself. And I mean, boy, talk about what's the difference between him and me. I mean, that he has, he has, and I, one thing I told him was you have a lot more stress in your job than I do. And I said, it's different kind of stress, but I would tell you, you know, if you, if you're a, a cancer survivor, if you're a, a dad raising five kids by yourself or a mom raising, raising kids by yourself, or, or if you're having to worry about paycheck to paycheck, that is way more stressful than having to worry about what our next quarter looks like. I mean, there's a there's a it's a different kind of stress, but life stress is way more stressful than job stress. And I think helping to keep that in perspective, you know, um, is going out and meeting with some of these folks. Before we take a break, I'm kind of curious to know. I feel like you are the the. I think that's a bad way to say it. It's it's not that you're good at dealing with stress because I don't know if that's the thing that you can actually do. It, it's more like you just. I guess I, I feel like. I read somewhere, some some business book, they said, oh, um, we interviewed these people and they said that they wanted to be able to take on more stress. And it's like, no, 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 like that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not a real thing. You can't actually do that. The goal was to feel less stressed or, so, or something like that. Anyway, I'm not really eloquating my point properly, but what I was going to say is without knowing a lot of people who are in similar positions to you, as far as having these big things to worry about for big companies and that ultimately affect thousands and thousands of people who work for those companies. You seem to be not too stressed about it, but I'd imagine you're in the minority. I, I don't know. Cause I don't, it's not a topic. I, I know a, a number of CEOs. We don't talk about that topic specifically. Why not? I don't know. I, I think, I, I mean, I, it's just never come up. Too I guess. EQ, not too much EQ. <laughs> no, I just should never come up. But I, you know, I think, I've always said about stress that stress is overrated. I, you know, I, I think stress, you know, stress is is what I said earlier. I mean, if you if you've if you've got a kid that's got a terminal illness, that is stress. Or if you're if you're not sure how you're going to pay the rent next month, that is stress. If I worry about, gosh, you know, we might miss the quarterly earnings, that that's not stress. I mean, that that, that is just okay. Yeah, it's something we got to figure out, and we got to figure out how to how to message it. But that's not stress compared to what people in, in this world deal with all the time. So that's why I say stress, particularly stress in these executive jobs, is overrated. If, if I lost my job tomorrow, fine, I'm okay. You know, whereas if, I, if I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I lose my job tomorrow, now all of a sudden I'm like, wow, how am I going to pay my car payment? So, uh, you know, there's, they, they pay us well in these jobs, and that helps eliminate, certainly eliminate the financial stress. There is pressure on the job, no question about it, and, and I don't want to – you know, short sell that, but um, but I just feel like. By the way, part of what I always say, and I, and and it's not that I'm evangelizing. I just, you know I just tell people who I am. You are who you are, but but I always say faith, family, and job in that order. That those are my priorities, and 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 it helps me kind of keep things in perspective. That the first two are more important to me than than the job. The job is very important, and I have a a position that that is responsible for forty five thousand people. But keep it in perspective. The uh, the ordering of priorities is, I think, Bobby Jones. 
has the same is that right had okay. had the same uh he said uh what was his what was his, you know what, i'm gonna look for it let's take a quick break and we'll come back with what he said because i'm pretty sure it was something that's where the comparisons stop between bobby jones and me <laughs> all right we'll be right back all right everybody got a new podcast ad read for you this week from a clothing brand, I know a lot of you ask me questions about clothing. Well, I've got some answers here. I just started wearing this new brand of super soft performance polos made by Devereux. D-E-V-E-R-E-U-X. That's some other, I don't know what country spelling that is, but it's pro- it's cool. Whatever it is, I like that country. These polos have been awesome. They travel well, they look great, and are damn comfortable. And I'm they really, they, they, I love them. I'm, I, they really are. If you guys are looking for new polos to add to your rotation, I highly recommend giving these Devereaux polos a shot. Check them out at dvrxthreads.com and use my name, Eric, E-R-I-K, at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Also, the pants are pretty dope. The polos are dope. Also, they've got this half zip that's pretty dope. Uh, a lot of different patterns. I love the solids. It's good stuff. Check it out. Again, use my name, Eric, E-R-I-K, at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Folks, you've heard me talk about it, and I'm not talking about... Never mind. I'm talking about Precision Pro. You've heard me talk about them. I got a chance to meet these guys. I went out to Cincinnati. I spent spent four years with them in one week. It was incredible. Anyway, uh, what's the main thing that golfers have in their bag that they're going to use most during a round? I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a putter. I'm not talking about your favorite iron. I'm not talking about your right arm to flag the beverage cart. I'm talking about your rangefinder. All golfers need a rangefinder that they can trust to know the precise distance in their target for nearly every shot, whether you're on the tee box or in the fairway. That's true. I've, I'm, honestly, I've thought about using it for putting just so I can be super accurate because putting is obviously lagging a little bit. Getting a phone call, folks. Um, anyway, I carry the NX9 HD rangefinder by Precision Pro Golf. It's easy to use, incredibly fast, and most importantly, it gives me the exact yardage to my target so I can choose the right club and swing with confidence. I actually love pulling it out. People are like, what is that? I'm like, it's Precision Pro. Get down with the green and blue, my guy. Green and gray, I mean. Um, Not to mention, Precision Pro offers free battery replacement services for the life of your rangefinder. We all know how annoying it is to run out of batteries, but you get an extra one when you get it, and then you get rangefinder batteries throughout the like I said, life of your rangefinder. So you're not only getting a rangefinder, you're signing up for a lifetime service. So really, it just depends on how long you live. And at that point, that's where the podcast sort of, that's where it just drops off and it's up to you at that point. Live healthy, obviously. Play, don't play golf in lightning. Uh, don't, don't shoot adventures in golf because that, that we've talked about that with my insurance company and it does decrease my lifespan. But, you know, it increases the benefits and we all have fun. We've all signed up. Me and the crew have all signed. Uh, it's like an NDA for your life. Good news, the NX9 HD rangefinder is on sale for $40 off. Even better, listeners of the podcast can receive an extra $10 off by using the coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, at checkout. Go to precisionprogolf.com and use the coupon code ERIC at checkout for $50 off the NX9 HD rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, got a very, very special read from you. One read that fits into three stripes because you know... How much I love the three stripes, and I'm very excited to share something with you. Who knows what that'll be? Some secrets, maybe? Some secrets in the dirt? No. Adidas took their knit game to a whole new level. And honestly, I've actually, I wore these just the other day, and I was pretty 
comfortable and pretty tethered to the ground. Anyway, um, have you seen the new Tor 360 XT Prime Knit that was just released? Um, it's the first waterproof knit that they've ever had. So what you get there is a lot of flexibility around your little old feet or big old feet, depending on what size your foot is, obviously. Although your foot may be big in stature, but not so much in, you know, you can have a big foot, but still have a small size. You know what I mean? Anyway, they come with a one-year waterproof warranty and three fresh new colorways so you can stand out on the course. It's important to stand out. Sometimes if you're golf game, no, anyway. Uh, it's built on the XT Traction sole, so you get amazing grip, but it's still lightweight and comfortable. That is true. Anyway, head over to adidas.com slash US slash golf to snag a pair. And follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter to stay updated on all of their newest releases. Until then, see you out there. It looking fresh. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, cool. We're back. We talked a little bit about the best advice given to you, but as we go into the second part of the podcast, one of the things that is... Uh, I, I really recognize as being uh, part of my potential contribution to people's world is they say, oh, you know, how can I get into the golf industry? What can I do to get into the golf industry? So I do try to focus on people, young people, maybe people who are trying to transition out of what job into a job that's fulfilling to them. It seems like you're very fulfilled in your job is try to, you know, offer, okay, well, how did you, how did I get into this? And actually, you know, I'll share one tidbit before I go and ask you a question. We were, I was at Waste Management. It was my first year. This is four years ago. By the way, I'm actually wearing my, my Waste Management shirt nice, nice. that you. I got. It's there a go. embroidered memory of mine. And um, anyway, I was there and I was just starting out in my career of hosting, which I didn't really want to do. And I think you and I have talked about this. And there's all these wonderful celebrities at the tournament. One of my idols uh, at the time was there, Chris Berman, nice. ESPN uh, announcer. And, uh, you know, funny, funny guy. And I went up to him and I said, Chris, you know, I've been tasked by the PGA Tour to host a golf show. What would you give me as a piece of advice? And he, without even batting an eye, said, you have to be interested. If you're not interested, it won't be interesting to other people. If it's interesting to you, it'll be interesting to them. And I really have found that to be true over and over and over again. Um, and... I guess I'm curious to know if you have any similar advice for anyone who might be coming to you and saying, look, I want to be in the field of business. I want a job like yours one day. What would you suggest I do now as a 20-something and, you know, I'm just living my life? I, you know, a couple things that come to mind. One is uh, some advice I got from a CEO at Waste Management two CEOs ago. So his name was Maury Myers. And he said, uh, kind of broaden your scope a little bit so that if you really want to, to rise within the organization. In other words, I was a, always a finance person. And Maury said, look, if you, um, if you go out and take an operations role, not only will you learn the business, but you'll also give yourself a, a second opportunity to move up. Because it is a pyramid structure at these, at these companies, and there's, there's only a very small number of positions at the top. So, But A, it helps you learn the business more if you, if you broaden your scope a bit, and B, it it, uh, it it expands the number of opportunities you have. The other thing I would say is um, that uh, you know putting people first. Once you get into a managerial role, and it doesn't necessarily mean a senior vice president or a CEO position, but uh, you're eventually 
in many cases going to move into a position where you're managing people. And, and you should always think about putting your people first. I know sometimes companies think about their customer first, or maybe if they're publicly traded, they think about their shareholders first. And, and, and a, a guy a long time ago named Herb Kelleher, who ran Southwest Airlines and passed away last year, I think, said, it's people first, then customers, and then shareholders, because it has to be in that order. I mean, if you, if you put your people first, then they feel fulfilled, and then they'll treat the customers right. And if the customers are happy, then your shareholders are happy by extension. So I would tell you as, you, as you move into a managerial position, the most important thing you can do is pay attention, listen to what your people are saying, and, and treat, put your people first, and then they will put your customers uh, first, and, and so on and so forth. Interesting. We, uh, we talked about, you know, it's a, I love, I love uh, thinking about things like that, like airlines, hotels, waste management. It's like you have 45,000 employees. That's a lot. <clears throat> it's, 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 it's a remarkable to me that you can have everybody function in one direction. That's just so interesting to me. So anyway, I'm curious to talk to you more about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure we have everybody going in that in the same direction, but we have a lot, and I mean, we have, certainly have the majority, and that's why the company has done as well as it has. I, I think the stock price is uh, close to quadrupled since t- 2012. That's 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 pretty strong performance. That's a lot. And the reason for that, I would I would argue, there's a, there's multiple reasons, but but if you if you have multiple people going in multiple directions, you're you're you can't possibly hope to accomplish that. So we have 45,000 people largely moving in the right direction, largely understanding what our strategy is, and, and that's really important for a big company. You, uh, you talked a little bit about um, you know, the, the, uh, the playing in the Pro-Am and the, the experience there. The, uh, the, you know, it it kind of laughed a bit when you were talking about how the, 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 the team that you work with sees you as a celebrity. It must be really interesting to have that, but at the same time be... I mean, th- this is the most, um, you know, high-level pro-am with other celebrities playing in it. Right. I mean, there's every. I mean, I can't. Bill Murray has played in the waste management. He, he may have. He hasn't played uh, when I was there. It's been a minute. He's like yeah. the only one I can think of that hasn't played in it. Yeah, I think I, he he. The AT and T is the week after, and so he always plays in that. So sometimes right. I don't know that he plays in ours, but um, but yours is we've just had a lot of celebrities though, and it's and it's really athlete heavy. It is very athlete athlete heavy, and in fact, you know, we get we even though the Super Bowl is always the same week as our event, we still get a lot of football players, uh, and we get football players who say, "Look, if I don't uh, make the Super Bowl, then I'll play in your events." So we had Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago. Uh, we'd we'd love to get Aaron back this year, but you know he's he's number two seed in the NFC. So if he but if he doesn't make it, um, you know he's he's uh, uh, hopefully a, a, an option for us. But we get a lot of baseball players. I played with Justin Verlander last year. I played with Greg Maddox. What does uh, Verlander say about playing in this event? Well, all of these celebrities have been exposed to big events and a lot of attention, but none of them have played even in their own sport in front of a crowd that big. So right. when you think about 90,000 people, and that was something that Greg Maddox told me, he said, I, not, not only have I never played golf in front of this many people, I've never played anything in front of this many people. So um, they, it, is, it is unique for them, and that's part of why they like playing. There, there's, there's a little bit of a buzz within the, the, particularly the sports celebrity group that you got to play in the Waste Management Phoenix Open. 
because the crowd is crazy and whole 16 is crazy. So last year, Justin was, was FaceTiming his, his brother when he walked into 16. He's kind of showing and he said, I, f- I feel like Russell Crowe and Gladiator. And, and, uh, <laughs> but um, it, was, it is unique for those folks too, even though they've done a lot of things in their lives. That, would, that surprises me. I would think that nothing would phase them. No, also, I, you know, I mean, I played with Michael Phelps. He said, man, I am so nervous. And this really? guy's won, you know, whatever, 30, 35 gold medals. That's fascinating. Yeah, I guess, I guess when they're playing their sport, they have their thing. Golf, they're not necessarily, you know, as proficient in. Well, that's right. It's not, the, it's not their deal. It's, you know, the, Maddox told me, I said, Jim, I, I'm a pitcher. So, I mean, when I'm in front of 45,000 people in game seven, I, I got it. With the glove but, on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional golfer. And so, in front of 20,000 people, I, I'm, you know, it's, it. There's some butterflies. You mentioned uh, briefly uh, the idea that, you know, these uh, fans, how many fans come out what, for one year? What's the most? It's like For the Pro-Am? Uh, no, for the entire week. Oh, uh, oh for the whole week, yes. It's like 400? Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's 750,000. I mean, I 750. Last year for Saturday, it was, um, I think we had close to 300,000 for Saturday. That's insane. Maybe slightly over. That's insane. I think it's uh, the number was more on Saturday last year than any other event has for the entire week except for two. So there's two tournaments that have that many people for the whole week that we had for one day on Saturday. And all without creating any waste. It's a a zero-waste event now, and this will be, I believe, our ninth consecutive year, maybe eighth or ninth consecutive year of zero-waste. And the reason, even though this is our 10th year as title sponsor, we didn't do it in our first year. And I don't think we even did it in our second year because it involves a lot. I mean, you Tremendous. it's not just something you say, hey, I think we'll be zero waste this year. It doesn't work that way. You've got to get vendors involved. You have to get fans involved. You have to educate fans. We have a lot of people on the golf course that you probably don't even know they're out there, but they're edu- educating you on what goes where. But you won't see any trash bins on the golf course. There are no trash bins on that golf course. That is uh probably not easy but secondarily it's probably very important for other events to see and potentially take note has there been a ripple effect absolutely we've had we've had companies call us and say can you help us i had a i had um a sponsor for the upcoming world cup oh wow a couple weeks ago when i say upcoming it's i think it's 2026 that russia no 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 the 2026 is in in mexico canada and u.s okay so uh the in the u.s they want to make that a zero waste event and so they're calling us and, and the interesting part about the golf tournament is it's it's zero waste for the biggest, in terms of, of attendance, golf tournament in the world. I mean, there's no other golf tournament. I don't. There's no other golf tournament that's close. It would be one thing if you had 50,000 people there for the week and you're zero waste. But when you have 750,000 people there for the week and you're zero waste, then why can't a 50,000 sure. attendee tournament do it? Or, or why can't a... Why can't Super Bowl do it? You know, I mean, yeah. but uh, you do have to. There's a lot of coordination that's involved, even even amongst the the PGA Tour players. I mean, they they they're right. they're involved with this. The the PGA itself, all of our employees. We have a lot of employees that dedicate a lot of time to this event. Um, so it, it's fans, it's vendors, it's employees, it's 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 the media, it's the players, it's the PGA Tour. I mean, it, there's a, a lot of people involved in order to make that happen. And you also are on this footprint of land that's massive, and it's just sprawling. I mean, one football stadium is big, but it's probably a um, little more than a couple hundred yards. Yeah. You've got a golf course that's five, a couple hundred acres. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's complex. Um, what? Uh, but then even beyond that, uh, you guys are talking more and more. I'm hearing about recycling. Is that? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it's it, recycling is we're the biggest recycler in North America. I mean, it's a critical part of our business. Our customers ask for it. Uh, we've had you know the the business has. Um, has been slower in the last couple of years because there's been some some uh, you know some pressure from China. They have some some quality control uh, restrictions and that they're imposing on us. And and honestly, rightly so. I mean, they should ask for high quality material. And so we're, what we've done is uh, taken a longer term view of it and started to put different type of uh, different types of equipment into our plants. I mean, in the short term, what we've done is is you know charge some fees for for if we have customers that are contaminating their recycle bin, then we may charge them a fee. So contaminating the recycle bin. If you're putting your Thanksgiving turkey carcass in your recycle bin, that's that's not recyclable, or at least it isn't through our equipment. Yeah, that that really messes your messes your stuff up. up. Yeah. Right. So that's bad. So that's bad. So so we've been charging uh, fees for that, and and we'll like when you see the turkey, you're like ten bucks. Ten bucks, yeah. So I don't, I don't know how much it is, but ten bucks for the turkey. <laughs> That's right. So you're lazy, bro. Get the turkey out of there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's recycling just sounds like so complex and so hard. It's a, it's a, is it's it? kind of a manufacturing business if you want to think about it that way, because you're taking all this material and you're turning it into, uh, not you're, you're turning it into something different, which you're turning it into a, a clean commodity. So it comes in the front door, and if you're if you go to one of our recycle plants, it looks like a huge pile of trash coming in the front door yet on the back end it's all clean commodity it goes out to whether it goes to a paper mill or whether it goes to a an aluminum smelter or whatever it's it's clean commodity it goes out the back end of the plant and then we have a certain percentage that that is non-recyclable the turkey the turkey and the turkey goes into and and that's about ultimately about a little less than 20 percent of what comes in the front door of the plant goes out the back door of the plant as trash turkey but the turkey goes to you know ends up going out as trash. It goes yeah, and you and you have to landfill that. It takes we take that to a landfill. Right. Yeah. But the rest of it. So, but am I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking this could be an incorrect assumption? Is recycling just really really expensive? Well, it's 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 more expensive now than it was two years ago because really? part of the model, part of the business model of recycling is you sell those commodities at the back end of of the process, and if China is putting a lot of pressure uh, on on the price, which is has kind of been the end result of, of their quality control restrictions, then we're making less money out of the back end, and so therefore we have to charge more on the front end. So it is it is it has become more expensive today than it was two years ago. But that's why we're trying to change the process. I mean, we're we're putting more equipment. We've got what's called a recycle plan of the future that we've put in in Chicago. It's got fourteen optical sorters. A normal recycle plan might have two optical. So it's so trying to look for the turkey. It looks for the turkey. More importantly, it looks for things like milk jugs, and milk and it spots a milk jug coming up the line, and and it shoots a stream of air when it sees that milk jug and knocks it. Why is a milk a jug milk, bad? Milk? No, it's good. Milk oh. jugs are very valuable for us. Save so, the milk jug. Save the milk jug. Yeah, high those priority. Are, those are high priority. Put yeah. it in the front of the plane. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> so it looks for it. So, and and that's a good point because what we're what we've been doing historically is what's called negative soar, where. You, I stand on a conveyor belt, and I pick the stuff off that we don't want. So you, I pick the turkey carcass and the bowling ball and the garden hose off, and, I, and then everything else in theory that goes past is recyclable. Today, those optical sorters 
pick off what we do want. So it picks off right. the milk jug, and it picks off the Tide bottle, and it picks off the cardboard. Sorry, maybe I'm in the weeds here. Is the milk jug any better than any other recycling material, or a milk jug is just a random example of anything? It's just that's a random recycled? example, but, okay. it is, but it is valuable <laughs> material for us. I was just thinking milk jug was like, uh, you know, a triple seven or something, like you know, like at the uh, at the um, slot machine. No, it's not just a regular milk jug. Okay, um, you know, what'd be fun is like a recycling video game for kids. I think we did something like that years ago. Um, I think we actually had a. a, a something at Disney in Orlando. Uh, and I don't know that it's still there, but we did something with landfilling and I think we might've done something with recycling that uh, was a little bit of a display. And, and so WM was, was associated with it. Of course, I don't know that it's still there, but I, but my wife has told me we need to have a recycling game of some yeah. type. And so she, it she could just, everything it. scrolls by and you use the air jet to knock off the, I like it. That could be good. Um, my friend Nate Bergazzi is a great comedian, and he has a, a bit about recycling. And he's like, honestly, I don't know anything about it. I looked it up, and it said that the most important thing to do is to talk about it with friends and family. And then he paints this kind of humorous picture about what his friends and family is like, and they don't really want to hear about recycling. But it's kind of ironic that in his brilliance, he's talking about recycling in a way that's kind of, you know, doable because I imagine a big part about recycling with the public is getting the turkeys out of the way and getting people to just do it the right way. I mean, cause you know, recycling actually isn't expensive to me. I don't even know why I think of it as expensive. It doesn't even matter. Right. Yeah. Cause I just put it in the blue bin in my house and I learned that I need to empty the soda out of the can and get the turkey into the black one. There you go. Yeah. But like, why is that so hard? It's, I don't think look the turkey in the recycle bin that, I don't think anybody truly thinks that's recyclable. That's just that's just laziness. <laughs> it's or, laziness, exactly. What what where we do though get um, get mixed up a little bit is when you have somebody that says, "Look, the you know the, the the cover the back cover on your cell phone there that's that's made of a plastic material and, and it's actually leather, but oh, yours is leather. Okay. Well, you, yeah, that's high high dollar. I, though, I, it's, mine's plastic. So um, I apologize to the vegans, but I it's the one that actually actually here's why I like this one is because it lasts the longest. Yeah, see, mine, Which is, mine didn't last very long. I had a Dallas Cowboy thing, and it fell off. Right, the leather one's good because it, it it ages well. So the older it's like a wine. Yeah, the older it gets. All right, so I'll use your glasses as an example. Yeah, the glasses are a better. Example. The glasses are a better. They're example. plastic. That's probably all made of plastic. The lenses are plastic. Probably, maybe they're they're. Don't tell me they're they, glass, right? They may actually be glass. And you're a high dollar guy. They Everything's are. you know everything. <laughs> all right, so my reading glasses or my Not. my regular glasses are plastic. So right. do I put those in the recycle bin? Yes, it's made of plastic. Why not? And, right. the, and the answer is no, that, that does not go through our equipment. So we need to either figure out how we, and what, one of the things we're looking at is how do you, how do we sort out that, that type of plastic and use it for productive use? When it goes through our recycle plant, it's not like the milk jug. It's not like the, you know, the, the plastic water bottle that's, that high, has high value. That ends up going in to the trash pile. And, right. and so how do we figure out a better use that's a sustainable use that takes the low value plastics. That's where the contamination comes in. People that put turkey carcasses or, or you know, uh, garden hoses, stuff like that, they probably know that's not truly recyclable. But I would think a garden hose is recyclable. Yeah, my it's, opinion, it's, my thought of it is of that things that aren't recyclable are food, like the turkey, yeah. and. Um, Liquid. I mean, the problem I mean, with a garden hose, and it, it goes back to what our equipment is capable of, a garden hose has a bunch of, of strands within the core, so it's not just the rubber material. 
But our equipment can't break that up. I mean, it, it can't break. So that rubber material is the uh, somebody that would use that uh, in replacement of, of virgin rubber says, I don't like this because it's got these strands of, of thread through it. And that's what gives the garden hose strength. And they, they don't want that. I think I need to, you to just, we're going to take a break. I'm not going to hit <laughs> cut. Detail for it. What the hell should I ask you about that? I feel like I've taken you on a 19 minute tangent about recycling. That's not, I don't know. What is, I need help. You need help. All right. I'll see what I can what do. What should I say? Like, what should I ask you? Well, I think we, we were going down the golf tournament, uh, you know, and, and I think, well, Julian, yeah, well, like, here's one thing I would recycling. say about it. Uh, Every company today is expected, millennials expect companies to have a social purpose. It's not just earning money. What's the social purpose of waste management? For us, it's natural. I mean, it's a, uh, we're an environmental services company, so having a, a, a true social purpose, which is making the world a better place through recycling, through sustainability, that's natural for us. Some, you know, if, if I'm a, a different kind of company that doesn't really have a, a connection to sustainability, then maybe my social purpose is, is something else. Maybe it's, you know, it's employment or maybe it's, you know, feeding the poor or whatever. But for us, you know, we chose sustainability because it's a natural for us. And I think the big message around sustainability is, and, and recycling is a kind of a smaller component of that, is how do I save natural resources? That is the goal of recycling, by the way, saving natural resources. And if I've done that, then I've done something that's socially responsible. And waste management's goal, or one of our goals, is to be the most sustainable company in the world. And and so we're trying to figure out how we take your glasses or my glasses. Yours are, yours are not recyclable. But, mine are uh, not. Mine are. How do we take mine and do something productive and save natural resources? The most sustainable company in the world. That seems like uh, probably you get just as many eyebrows raised as one got when they said, I want to make a zero-waste event. I mean, it's a it's a big bold goal, and and we're we're not there yet, but but I think we have the the potential to get there. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that day. We're we're making we're we're taking big steps, and when you take a golf tournament and turn it into a zero waste event, then you can start saying, look, we can, you know, we can take this tournament and use it as a as a, you know an example of how you do it in in the sporting world, and then translate even further beyond that. We're about to go play some golf. We're gonna play nine holes. What's uh, what? What do you typically? What do you do? You do you like to gamble? What do you? What's your golf routine? I'll gamble. I'm not a huge gambler. Okay. I think the winds. They. I, I saw 40 mile an hour gusts. That's, wow. That's a big concern for me today. Um, my game is really temperamental. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same. I. Uh, I. We talked a little bit about the the idea of slowing down the swing before yeah. the uh, before we turn the mics on here. What are you? Um, what are you going to be working on today? You know, I, I'm always working on direction. Distance is not usually the problem with me. It's direction. So, okay. um, And then, of course, with 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts, that does not help my uh, direction. So no. I'll be working on that. Well, it could help it if it's blowing against the wrong direction. True. I mean, you know, it could work in both. That would be lucky. Typically, wind doesn't help somebody with direction problems. No. Do you? This is your home course, though. We're here in Houston. This is your home course. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, it's not technically my home course. It's actually John's home course, oh. but um, but I've played here a number of times with him. So we're both guests today. We are both guests. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, okay, so, so let's don't do anything stupid out there well, that's going to embarrass the member. I will. Uh, I mean, I will definitely try to embarrass John <laughs> as much as possible. We barefoot uh, or something. We you know? we've got nine holes. We're going to play a match. What should we wager? 
I don't know what what, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, dinner. I mean, uh, although actually dinner's it's covered. Kind of dinner tonight. Dinner's, since the Morrises are paying for they're it, they're already paying for yeah, dinner. Yeah, that's that's kind got of got that covered. No risk. Uh, we could do dinner another time. I'll come out to your neck of the woods. Come out to LA, and we'll, that'd be good. Uh, and and we'll do dinner. Either you pay or I pay. We could do dinner's good. I mean, I feel like we could come up with something more creative. I feel yeah, like yeah. we could dig a little deeper. We're gonna. I'm gonna see you in a couple weeks at the waste management. Oakmont, there could be, uh, you know, Oakmont's good. We, Oakmont's good. I mean, Although we're not invited. raging that because we're already doing that. You already so, invited me. Yeah, yeah. So that's. Uh, and usually, I you know, I. Uh, I mean, money's boring. We could and we can always do that, but that's kind of boring. So no, it's a little boring. Yeah, it should be something a little bit. We we should. We should definitely TBD this. We should really come up with a good wager. Any ideas in the? We got a couple of people listening. I feel like John's got an idea. What do you got? It has to be something embarrassing. It has something to be something embarrassing. embarrassing. <laughs> definitely from New Jersey. I, mean, I used to play cards with my <laughs> wife all the time. We don't play as much anymore, but we always wager. But it was, it was very different. You know, I mean, what what a guy wants and what a girl wants are a little different. She would always, you know, her side of the wager was I have to do the dishes. Mine was always, you know, right. How about this? Different. The loser has to make a hat that says, I'm a big, and then if you win, I'll say, I'm a big Jim Fish fan. And, and wear it where? And I, somewhere. Maybe, whatever. I don't know. Like if you, a big, like, you like pro, our golf term. Like maybe during the pro-am. You there have you to go. wear it during the pro-am. <laughs> there you go. All right. And then if you win, I have to wear a hat that says, I'm a big Jim Fish fan. Jim, or, Fish, Jim Fish rules or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you get to decide. One apparel, one piece of clothing gets created. This is all coming up totally. Do you think this is possible? Oh, I'd, absolutely. We this is good, that. right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be waste management because that's a big day for you. That's a big work day. And you don't need to go out there and create a bunch of questions around well, I, who I, mean, I am. I, I fully this. intend on winning, so this is going to be you. <laughs> wow, this is... Okay, so you're a 10 <laughs> handicap. I'm a 5, so I'm going to give you... You're a 5? I'm a 5. Wow, all right. Wow. And if I play well today, you're even going to accuse okay, me of I'd... sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous but, now. All right, so uh, yeah, so, give but him, what, some three big strokes? event. It'd be like a, you know, like a Dodgers game for you or an Astros game for me, where you know sure. you got to you got to wear a, a hat or a, a t-shirt that do says you, I'm a big Jim Fish fan. Do you have like a weekly newsletter? We do. I'd yeah. like to see you with a photo of you in that newsletter. That's okay. what I'd like to see. Okay. And some type of public event, and then I'll do the same. I'll do a social media. I'll do All right. big Jim Fish fan. Perfect. Kick my there's, butt. There's more risk to that than you know betting five bucks a hole or something. <laughs> The truth is, though, honestly, the, the the secret of this is that it's actually just great because we're both really great people, and so it's not like we're it's, doing any. Fun. This is good. Yeah, this. Will be All right, fun. so and I'm going to give you three strokes, right, for nine holes. My mass is five, but you're what? You're five? No, but five over eighteen. So oh, we're going to oh, play oh, nine. Okay. Sorry, sorry, bad math. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I thought you well, said you, know, were the C- you were the CFO. Not anymore. Yeah, no, now you're focused you, on you, big ideas. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I did admit earlier that my handicap is seven and a half. I thought you said it was ten. No, seven and a half. All so, right. Well, I'll give you. So actually, uh, two know, strokes. Give me, give me two. That's yeah, generous. And that's generous because I should get like one and. Maybe I should be playing for stock options. Silence. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I, I, that has to go in front of the board. It's messy. You know. If, if, if you're if you're if you're watching also if you're listening to this podcast it's also available on YouTube and we're gonna play a little golf we're gonna make a video here um, but if you're either way listening or on video you should definitely watch the video that you, Jim and I made last year where you and I uh, I was your co CEO for the day yeah that was fun in the in the like the mini WM waste management truck right that was great we had a golf cool. cart uh, waste management truck it wasn't, it's not not a real I mean that's a heavy it's like a golf cart that looks like a 
commercial front loader, and it's that was a serious piece of art. Not easy actually. to drive, right? You, no, you know, I almost crashed. And some of the footage you can see it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little top heavy, so you had to be careful. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being a guest. This was fantastic. Thank, thank you. For, thanks much. for having me. It was great. I really enjoyed a lot Good of what we talked about. I'm lo- <laughs> oh, already <laughs> talking smack. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you on the course. I guess I'm going to go do my own warm-up routine. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.